I remember the uh, first sermon that I ever preached. I was uh, about 17 years old. I was in college. What they used to do is load up all the preacher boys in college, all the guys that, uh, that uh, at that Christian school that felt like God had called them into ministry. They'd load us up. They'd take us across the state to different pastures, and we'd go into these churches and preach and speak. And so I remember the first time I ever did that, I remember sitting in my small college dorm room. I remember just going to the library and picking up, you know, a few study books. I figured if you're going to share God's Word, you need to study a little bit. And so I grabbed a few books and had my Bible open, and I was just like, well, what do you do now? Amen? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? First of all, I was 17 years old. But can you imagine if you knew that next weekend you were going to be up here sharing the message? Can you imagine? Sitting there in your room and trying to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to talk about? But I remember that first message. It was on Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Matthew seven thirteen says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are, what? Many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The Bible says that it is easy and it's just the natural path that we are all going to take with our lives to go away from God. That's the easy path. That's that's the default. That's the if if I don't even try, that I'm gonna go away from God. And many people, the Bible says, go that route. And while there are many who trust Christ. The Bible seems to indicate it's not as common for people to truly give their lives to God. Did you hear that? The Bible's saying that that's not as common for people to do. And yet, there are over 2 billion people in the world today who call ourselves Christians. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Listen, friend. My fear is that many of us have an idea of what we think it means to be a Christian, but that many of us who claim to be Christians do not truly understand what that actually means. That's why we're doing this series, this emphasis of messages. We're trying to learn, so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Isn't that a valid question? What is it really to be a Christian? And if that's what it is, do I see that in my life? Am I truly a Christian? So far we've talked about two things. We talked about, first of all, the first message was asking God to save you. Asking God to rescue you. Coming to a point in our lives when we realize that we need God. That we cannot live these lives without Him. And actually, it's more serious than that. It's not like that God's a good option for living life. It's that if I don't have God do something in my life, I'm not ready to account for my life one day. That I'm going to spend forever separated from God. And so I need to be born again. I need to have a time in my life when I receive this amazing gift of salvation and I become a child of God. That is one of the most important aspects of becoming a Christian. You can't be a person until you're born. You can't be a child of God until you're born again. You're born spiritually into His family. Second thing we talked about is a changed and changing life. 
The Bible says that if I am truly a Christian, that my life has, amen anybody, been transformed. Amen? My life has been changed. There's been things that have happened immediately. There's been things that have happened over the years. There's things that are still happening. And hopefully, as I walk with God, as He waits to return, as my life is extended on this earth, hopefully you're going to see this time next year that Robbie is closer to God than he is today. The Bible says that if I'm a Christian, really a Christian, I can't stay in the same spot. I've been changed, and I'm in the process of God changing my life. So tonight, we want to think about this. If you and I truly are children of God, if we truly are Christians, we're going to experience love for others. That's what the Bible teaches The Bible teaches that love is absolutely crucial to the Christian life. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 say that God Himself is love. Isn't that quite a statement? It says it twice in that passage in 1 John chapter 4. God is love. It's His very character. It's His very nature. He is love itself. And it says in that passage in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 8, that everyone who's been born of that God has that love. And so clearly, the Bible's teaching us that being a Christian involves reflecting the God that we say lives within us. Now, before we dig into that more tonight, I want to define something for us. When we talk about love as Christians, we need to realize We're talking about much more than what we just naturally grow up with as Americans understanding love is. Do you understand that? Love is very much different than our default sort of uh, what we, when we think of the word, when we hear the word love in our culture, love is very much different than that. We're not talking about just feelings and emotions. We're not, just, we're not talking about even primarily feelings and emotions, though thank God when you love, feelings and emotions follow. Amen? God does bring the feelings when He brings us true love into our lives. We're not talking about, this is very important, when I say I love like God loves, we're not talking about what someone or something can do for me. Do we understand that? Because in our culture, love is highly defined by what you do for me. I love you because you do some things that I really enjoy, right? Now the Bible says that when we love like God loves, blessing comes back. Amen? We're going to receive back as we love like God does. But that's not the primary focus of love. Love is not just the idea of liking someone. There's certainly over time a connection forms, doesn't it? When you love like God loves, you can't help but at least possibly immediately, but certainly over time, what happens? A connection happens when we love like God loves. Now when we're talking about love from God's perspective, listen, write this down. We're talking about love is commitment without condition. Love is commitment without condition. They say, Pastor Robbie, why didn't you say love is unconditional love? I did it on purpose. Because many of us have grown up in church hearing that phrase, and so we don't even think about it. Love is unconditional love. We don't even think about what it means. So I want you to break it down a little bit and think about what it means. 
Love is commitment that has no conditions. So we say unconditional commitment. Love is living sacrificially for the good of another. It's very important to God's love. Love is that I am willing to pay a price for you to be better. Did you hear that? I'm willing to sacrifice so that you will be blessed. So that your life will improve. So that your life will grow and become more. My focus will not be self. It will be service. My focus is how can I live for the benefit of the other. In fact, this is one of the biggest indicators that Christ is in you. When we begin to see self being buried and Christ and His service coming out now, we're all going to struggle with self. Right down Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians as far as we can tell who ever walked on this earth, he struggled an intense struggle with self the rest of his life. That's encouraging to me. Amen? I'm going to struggle with self. But if I'm a Christian, I'm going to find more and more a desire to give my life in sacrificial service so that you and others will be better. Now that's a changed person, amen? Because I can tell you, Pastor Robbie wakes up just real easy in the morning thinking about... Amen? And y'all don't look like I'm so bad because y'all do the same thing. (laughs) Now by the way, just like I said... Our focus is not self, but I need to share with you, just kind of parenthetically, the Bible definitely commends to us that living this path of service, of selflessness, of love for others is the best and really truly the only way to live. If you want your life to be blessed, this is the path. It doesn't seem intuitive to us, but that's what the Bible teaches So in general, if you're a Christian, you're going to be moving more and more, closer and closer in that direction, and it'll show up in three distinct areas of your life, in really, truly three distinct relationships. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The Bible says that if you are truly a follower of Jesus, you're going to begin experiencing more and more unconditional commitment to others, sacrificially serving on behalf of others, and we're going to talk about Three groups that that love is going to show up in. First of all is this. If you're a child of God, you're going to develop the most important love relationship you're going to have is first of all a love for God. Mark chapter 12 verse 30. The Bible says this. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God. You read the part that's underlined on the screen. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your Mind and with all your strength. Now, some of us here tonight are very new to the Bible, okay? You say, I open up this book, I pick up this book, and I am very intimidated. I don't know where to go, I don't know what to read. What's it all about? You just saw the summary of the Bible, okay? There was a guy that actually asked Jesus in this context, we didn't read that part of the story, but he asked the Lord, he said, what's the greatest, what's the first, what's the foremost commandment In all of God's Word. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now let's think about what each one of those means. He said, with all your heart. Your heart to a Jewish person, just like in many ways for us, was the center of your life. It's talking about your desires, your goals, the very core of your being. 
Okay? So the Bible's saying you should love the Lord your God to the very depths of your being. Then your soul, what's that talking about? It, it represents the basic essence of who I am. It represents my very life, my very existence itself. I want to love God to the depth of my being, to the very core of my existence. That's what the Bible teaches. You shall love the Lord your God with, with all your mind. Obviously, that represents our thoughts. It represents our understanding, our worldview, our approach to life. Even the emotions could be factored in there because they affect our way of thinking. Your strength represents your ability. I have the ability to do some things in this world. Because I'm around, I have strength, I have ability, my life can make an impact on this world. The Bible says I should love the Lord so much that I want to use the total impact of my life for His glory. Amen? And it's good to break that down a little bit so that we can sort of see some of that. But I heard somebody say this about love. They said, you know, you've got to be careful about a flower because if you dissect it too much, you can almost take away all of its beauty, can't you? And so I want to be a little bit careful about looking at love in too much of a dissecting kind of way. I think it's important for us to understand those components. But I really think what Jesus is saying there is not for us to break down exactly what's heart, what's soul, what's mind, what's strength. What he's basically saying is this. The message that God wants to give to us is give your life to God. All of it. Not one single part that would be held out. If you are a Christian, you have a desire that I want God to have my life. Amen? I want God to have all my life. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Anybody wonder that sometimes? What does it mean to say that God has full control of my life? Now, I want to be a little bit cautious here because some of us are sort of list people, right? So, Pastor, I would just give me the list and that's the way I'm going to live. I want to be very careful about that because that's how religious Pharisaism starts. That's how people begin to say, okay, I got the list and I check off the list. So we don't want to do that tonight. But I want to give you a little bit, I'm paying a little bit of a picture of what would it look like for a person to give God all of to the core of my being. To be honest with you, I think it's going to look a lot like this series. If you just follow the series of messages that we're doing, that's what we're talking about. But I think probably if we're going to describe it maybe like daily practical ways, love for God, how would that show up? If I love God, I'd probably spend time with Him, wouldn't I? I would probably carve out time that I spend with Him, that I walk with Him throughout the day, that I'm talking with Him, that I want to have a relationship with Him. I love Him, amen? When I'm sitting in the service tonight, I'm not just singing songs. I'm thinking about my Savior. I'm thinking about my great God who gave His life for me who I serve, who gives me the breath to do what I'm doing tonight. Amen? It's a love relationship. I believe it would, it would imply living for Him. Learning His ways. Anybody trying to learn God's ways? Learning His ways. And then as I learn His ways, God, I want to live that out in real life. And God, not just that, not just learning Your precepts and seeking to live that out with Your help, but I want to fulfill Your purpose. I know I'm here on this earth, not by accident, but for a reason. And I want that to be lived out in my life. That's my desire. Am I doing it perfectly? No. But that's the desire when I love the Lord. I'm going to trust Him in hard times. I want to see Him glorified. And, and, and really, so what does glorified mean? It means that I want God to be famous. Amen? I just want the whole world to know God for who He truly is. 
When you love somebody, don't you talk about them? Don't, don't you just want everybody in the world to know God? You want to be a part of His work? You want to support His work? You want to see His name stay great and famous and clean and pure in your community and around the world? And listen, it's not just that you see some of those things. Again, some of you list people here tonight. You say, okay, well, I'll write down six or eight things that Pastor Robbie mentioned. And I'm sure you know, I'll get five out of eight. Then I'm moving pretty close to loving God. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about just seeing some things like that in your life. We're saying that your desire is to make God a priority. The priority. The most important priority in your life. The Bible says in Matthew 10, verse 37, if you love God the way God loves you, you're going to love Him above everyone and everything else in your life. Let's maybe think about it another way. And I think this is very helpful. At least it is for me. What would you see in another person's life? I think it is. If you were watching someone else's life and you said, man, she really loves God. What would you be observing? You don't even have to say it. I'm just, I just want you to think, okay? There's some people that you know, that you feel about, that is a person, of all people I've ever seen in my life, that person loves God, I guarantee you. What is it? that you see in that person's life that says that to you. Okay, so then let's bring that back to me. Do I see those kind of things in my life? Amen? Do I see that kind of evidence, that kind of fruit in my life? Now again, let me just make it very clear. I have to continue to do this because some of you are going to go out of here trying to be do-gooders, trying to get it just right. We're not saying do all the right stuff and maybe God will be happy with you and it will work out right. What we're saying is, can you see fruit, can you see evidence in your life, not that makes you a child of God, but that is evidence you already are one? Do you see that? Do you see that evidence that you see in someone else? So a Christian has a love for God. That's the first and greatest commandment, and probably the greatest evidence that I'm a Christian. But the Bible says in that passage, in verse 31, right after that, the second greatest commandment. Really, the Bible can be summed up with this. Every verse in the Bible is about loving God with all my heart and loving others as myself. Loving your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says that not only is it about loving God, but it's about loving others. And I want to break that down into two categories that we find in Scripture that God talks about of love that we should have for other, for other people. And the second thing is this. Not only do we have a love for God, but we have a love for fellow believers. Okay, now listen, this is new for some of us. Actually, it's not super new because you're starting to feel it. But God's going to affirm it tonight, okay? When we come to the Lord, most of us, when we come to the Lord, most of it relates to whose problem? Robbie, right? Robbie needs a Savior. Robbie needs to get his life together. Robbie needs God. That's just kind of naturally where we first come to the Lord, right? But pretty soon, after you come to the Lord, if He is living in your heart, you didn't even expect this. Nobody even told you. That's why it's going to be encouraging to some of you tonight because the Holy Spirit of God is living in your heart. And you didn't even know it was in the Bible. You've been sort of feeling it in your heart rising up. You've started having more of a desire to love other people. 
and specifically you found yourself with a connection, with a draw to people that you had previously never met before, or people that you did know, but for whatever reason you didn't associate with them, right? Maybe because your lives didn't cross, or maybe you didn't like each other, or maybe whatever it is. But now you're finding yourself, there's a lot of people I didn't know, there's a lot of people I did know, but for whatever reason our lives didn't cross, or I didn't want them to cross, but now, he's my brother. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. She's my sister in Christ. And there's two main passages in the Bible that I want to share with you that talk about that. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, Jesus says, that you also love one another. By that, the world's going to know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. I don't know about you, but I'm saying wow when I read that. Wow! Okay, I want to be a Christian. And I've given my life to Christ, and I'm wanting to follow Him, and I'm wanting to see the fruit of that coming out. Wow! One of the greatest evidences that other people can know that Robbie is truly a follower of Jesus is that I have a love for the people of God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that one sort of blindsides me. That's something that I didn't see coming. It didn't come natural for me. Like I said, I came to Christ for personal reasons, but I didn't realize and have even been surprised by a call to and a desire for connection, for community. Amen? I thought it was for me, but I think you guys have something to do with that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know, wow, good grief, people. We're reading God's Word, and He's giving us some strong things here. How do I know I'm a Christian? We know that we have passed out of death into life. Okay, in case you don't know, that's kind of a phrase that means... We know that we're Christians. How do we know? You say it. I'm telling you, this, this really kind of rocks my world. I, you know, I know, probably, I'm a Christian, and there's other people that are Christians, and we should be related in some way, and that's all good. But this is kind of strong. If I am truly a follower of Jesus, there's a compelling, there's a drawing to people who've given their life to Christ. That's one of the best indicators that I am truly a child of God. And by the way, I've mentioned this before. If you want to kind of study that in more detail, we've done it before. We're going to do it again. There's, there's about, I don't know, 40 or 50 passages. I can't remember exactly how many uh, passages in the New Testament that are called the one another passages. And you can just kind of go, uh, go on Bible Gateway and just type in one another. Okay, and look at all the verses in the New Testament that talk about how we as Christians are supposed to deal with one another. They're very specific things that help us to see how this new commandment, somebody called it the 11th commandment, 
because you kind of got the tenth commandment or the ten commandments in the Old Testament that sort of summarize the Old Testament and basically God's work in our lives. But Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. So those passages help us to live that out. But the point is this. When you give your life to Christ, you're going to have a desire to be with other believers. Are you seeing that? Are you feeling that? I want to know some other people who follow Jesus. I, I, I need to be around them. And some of that can even be self-focused at first in terms of the impact. I need to learn. Amen? I need to see how some people are living this out and sometimes how they shouldn't be living it out, right? Sometimes we learn from our mistakes and that's part of it. I want to be around those people. I want to work together with them. I want to get to know them. I want to grow together. I want to help uh, serve them. We have something in common. Actually, we have someone in common. Amen? Some of you have been around the world serving the Lord on mission trips or different endeavors. Maybe even for your work. You've been to other countries, other states around this country. Isn't it cool when you meet another believer? Immediately. You have a connection. We're at least going to the same place. <laughs> I'm going to see you one day at home in heaven. God's changed our lives. He's working our, our hearts. We're, we learn from each other. We have, the Bible calls this, is translated mostly in most of our translations, fellowship. We have fellowship with God, and because of that, we have fellowship with one another. Actually, literally, the word means we have things in common with God now, praise the Lord. But we also have some things in common. That's literally what the word means. We're on the same page, uh, however you want to translate. We have a connection together. Are you a Christian? Some of us would say, yes, Absolutely. Do you have a desire to be with God's people? Do you desire to be connected with God's family? To be growing together, to be building relationships, to be serving God together, to be helping one another? If you're a Christian, you can't help it. You're going to begin sensing that desire. You have a love for fellow believers. So he said the second greatest commandment is to love others. And the first group of people is fellow believers. Now listen... That doesn't mean we become inward focused. Here's what many churches have done. I love God. I love you guys. Lock the doors and keep the bad people out. Oh, I got news for you. They got in. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's the beginning of the end for a church family. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? There's a certain number of people I'm comfortable with. There's a certain group of people I'm This is about big enough for my comfort zone. It's easy for us to do that. And because we do feel that God is working in me and God is working in you and we have that connection, we want to be together. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, one of the biggest reasons we're supposed to be so together is to draw others. To Him. That leads us to the third kind of Christian love. It's a love for the world. If you're a Christian, you have a love for the world. Now let me give a little bit of clarification there. Okay? 
There are many Christians who go from one extreme to the other. Okay, Many Christians have a seeming hatred of everything and everybody in the world. Have you noticed that? Many Christians, listen, I just cringe when I hear this language. I hear pastors say, they, 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 those people. Christians say that. Those, they. That's an us against them mentality. No, it's me. I'm not even including y'all yet. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, right? Who's standing in the need of prayer. But if I'm going to start including a larger group, I'm going to say, we, right? The Bible talks about, really, God's people. If we would get right, some cool things would happen. So we don't need to focus on being against everybody because many Christians who do that, what do they do? They push people away from God instead of drawing people to God. Okay, so there's those, those kind of wall-building Christians who say, okay, let's, it's us four no more, right? The frozen chosen, you know, we're, we're just going to close our doors, build our walls, keep everybody out, and it'll be good. And it ain't that great, by the way, but that's just their idea. But then there's other people that are like, well, we don't want to be like that, so it's everything goes. We'll accept anything. You know what happens? They have no message. They have no hope to offer. There's a lost world that's hurting and dying without the Lord, and there's no message that's being offered. Both are wrong. It is wrong to have that defensive... I cringe when I hear Christians say, well, everybody at work knows where I stand. I'm like, why do they know that? I mean, what kind of fight did you get in that you've got to stand somewhere? All my friends know where I stand. Well, good grief. I mean, they should know you're a Christian and that Christ has made a difference in your life, but why are you standing? What are y'all fighting about? That doesn't work. The no message, never say anything worth value, reality, truth saying, that doesn't work. That's not what we're talking about. This is not a love for the things of the world. Okay, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-16 through 16 tells us that loving the things of the world is actually evidence that we don't know God. Okay? So when I say a Christian has a love for the world, we're not talking about the things of the world. Because listen, and some of us claim to be Christians tonight, but we sure do like our stuff. That should bother us. Something's not right with this picture. Okay? Now what the Bible's talking about here is this. The Bible says that God loves the world. And He's not just talking about trees and rivers and little birdies and things like that. Listen, God is creative. He loves all those things. But you know what? What I'm talking about here is God created His most special creation. There is only one part of creation that is created in the image and the likeness of God. That is us, people. And the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the what? The world that He gave His only begotten, His one and only Son, that what? Whoever believes, trees can't believe. Fish can't believe. Clouds can't believe. He's obviously talking about who? 
Us. For God so loved the world, the peoples of the world, that He sent His one and only Son that whoever would put our faith and our trust in Him doesn't have to perish, but can have life that lasts, that starts right now, John 5.24 says, that starts right now and lasts forever and ever. God loves everyone who has not yet given their life to Him. And God loves them so much that He sent His Son. Listen, we use the word Savior so much we forget what that means. What does Savior mean? It is someone who saves. So I like to use the word rescue. So, so it sort of jars my mind a little bit. I'm not just using words and not thinking about what it means. God sent His Son to rescue. Praise the Lord. Amen? God sent His Son to rescue people in danger. People like you and like me. In fact, that was His mission. That wasn't kind of a nice byproduct of Him coming. He said in Luke 19, verse 10, that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. Honestly, I'm concerned about those Christians who are mad. You ever read about it on Facebook? There's some people, the only thing... Listen, there are some things we ought to be motivated about, right? There are some things that ought to well up in us. That's not right. Someone needs to say something about that. I understand that. But there's some people that just like, you're like, everything they put on Facebook is like mad. They don't even put like pictures of their puppy or anything. It's just like constant... <laughs> This is like constant, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and oh, they got that wrong, and oh, they shouldn't have said that. I'm like, well, what are you saying? All you're saying is complain about everybody else. We should not, yes, we should get motivated about things that are wrong, but we should not be on our high horse. We should not be condescendingly looking down at others. Uh Uh-uh. Now, if you've got the heart of the Savior... Listen, you're not going to be thinking, how can I push these people off the boat? You're going to be thinking, how do we get the lifeboats out to them? Friend, listen, I know we got all a long ways to grow in this area, amen? Because, like I said, self is so strong in me. It is hard for me to keep this perspective. That's why I read God's Word. That's why I come to church. That's why I need to stay close to God because He has this heart. But listen, if you are a Christian, you cannot help as God is working in your life to have compassion for people who are trying to do it. Listen, I'm not talking about looking down, oh, you know, they they don't have what I have. You know, they haven't reached where I've reached. Garbage, okay? That's not from God. God resists the proud, okay? If we're getting proud, we're going the wrong direction with it seems to me that the more you grow as a Christian, the more humble you get. The more broken you get. The more amazed you get. Hopefully you get stronger. But that doesn't mean arrogant. See, we mix those things, right? So the more you grow in the Lord, you say, Good grief, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what tool to use. I don't know if it's an invite ticket or it's ask them to church or ask them if I can pray for them or go to their mother's funeral and... Or just be there or take a meal. I don't know what it is, but I've got to find some way, somehow, that God will just give me an opportunity to share with this person. 
Because I love people. Because I love my Savior. Do you have a heart for people who do not know the Lord? Do you? Do you think about that? Do you say, God, yeah, I got problems. I need you to work on me. And I needed this. And marriage and kids and finances. And that's just so much stuff. But God, still, that lady, I noticed, she seems like her heart is broken. And that little boy, he seems like he's crying out for a dad. God, how do I somehow let you use me? Is that your heart today? If you're a Christian, something's going to be stirring up in you. If you haven't been thinking about those things, you need to ask yourself some serious questions. Do I have the heart of the Savior? I'll be honest. Most people who claim to be Christians are not really living in that place. Are not really living in the place of, okay, I've got to live in this world, I've got to make a living, I've got to get the kids to soccer, I've got to make some good grades in school, I've got to bring home the bacon and put some food on the table and all this kind of stuff. I know I've got to do all that, but how do I get the message out? How do I make a difference? How do I impact? How do I help someone else's life? How do I point them to Jesus? Most of us are not thinking like that. But if you're a Christian, there's going to be that desire. Any way you look at it, love is a critical component. It is foundation laying for the true Christian life. Because Christ lives in me, do you tonight feel compelled to give your life to God? To surrender in a new way tonight? If you've given your life to Jesus, if there's sin in your life, doesn't it bother you? I don't want that there anymore. I don't want there to be any exceptions in my life. Listen, I'm not talking about trying to be perfect. Don't leave here saying, oh, that church, you've got to get it all right. That's not what we're saying. Please don't interpret that way. What we're saying is, God got it right for us. That's why we need Him to save us. But now that I've been declared right, even though I don't deserve it, I want to live right because I have this compelling love for this guy. Do you have that tonight? Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? You see God just kind of tonight waving you? Come on, buddy. It's time. You know it's time. You've been waiting. You've been waiting your whole life. You've been putting it off. It's time to say, God, it's all you give my life to you today. Would you do that today? Are you sensing this draw? Isn't it scary to open yourself up to other people? Isn't it? Okay, can we go ahead and put it on the table? New hope is messed up. I'm not just saying that. You say, I don't believe that. It's a nice church. Everything seems to be... You don't know much then. (laughs) Because we got lots of problems we got lots of people. So yes, you're right. It's risky to get involved with us. I promise you, we don't mean to, but you're going to get hurt. But it's worth it for what you're going to gain. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But much revenue comes from the strength of the ox. We'd never have to vacuum this room if y'all just stay out of here. Look at what God's doing because you're coming, right?
because you're allowing that step. Maybe it's another step for you tonight. Pastor Jeff, he's always beating that growth group drum, isn't he? There's a reason. There's a reason. You need a group of people who knows you. You don't need to know everybody. I can't know everybody. You can't know everybody. But somebody needs to know you and you need to know somebody. We need to have a heart to want to know each other. But it's not realistic to know everybody on that level. But you need to know somebody. You need to take that step. Get involved. Take that risk. Go ahead and say, I know it's gonna, I know problems are gonna happen, I know I'm gonna get my feelings hurt, but still much revenue comes from the strength of the eyes. Tonight, is God stirring in you? You know, every night, every Saturday night when we leave, we go to that restaurant. There's that lady that serves us, and she looks like she's working really, really hard. I wonder if anybody's ever asked her if they can pray for her. That guy at work that nobody wants to be around. You know, usually there's a reason somebody's coming on so strong. They're trying to build a really thick wall because there's a lot of hurt behind that wall. You say, God, with your help, nobody else is going to stand toe-to-toe with him. He chews them out, chews them up, spits them out, and they run off. But God... I want to be here. I want to be your servant in this life. If not me, who? If not now, when? I want to go on a mission trip. I want to make a difference in another context because God's using my life here, but I believe He's calling me to serve Him in some other way. Would you bow with me as we think about those decisions tonight? What is it that the Lord is speaking in your heart about? Love. Unconditional commitment. Sacrificially giving for the good of another. Loving others as God first loved us. Father, we thank You for challenging us tonight. Because this is not how I think as you live in me, as you work in me, God, you affirm this is the way. Walk ye in it. But just rob me by myself. I can't do this. So help us tonight, Lord. If there is someone that needs to give their life to you, even right now in this moment, that they would surrender. The best they know how, their heart to you. Father, may this community know that God is in this place. Not because we have cool graphics. Not because we do a great soccer clinic. Not because we have a lot of things to offer, but because we love one another. And we demonstrate that love in our community. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.